Welcome to About Mansfield, your audio newspaper. I'm Steve Casillo with the February 9th, 2023, 159th edition. Always broadcasting from the Cellmark Studios along with Colleen Daniel and the About Mansfield news team. Coming up today, it's Mansfield news and weather for the upcoming week. And a little later in the episode, you will have a chance to win a $25 gift card to a local Mansfield eatery with our Mansfield trivia question, courtesy of Joe Jenkins Farmers Insurance. Let's take a look at the stories we're covering this week. H-E-B breaks ground in Mansfield. Did the city council vote in its own monthly stipend? We have the answer. Are your plants okay after the freeze? And we'll tell you about an event this weekend involving pancakes and community service. We have the seven-day weather forecast. And in the talk segment, Steve talks with a local organization with a charitable heart. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is about Mansfield. The housing market is evolving as interest rates rise to meet inflation. Speculation abounds as to what the future may hold. Do you have a trusted advisor? The Roger and Beth team at Century 21 Judge Fight should be your first call in all matters concerning real estate and the market. We specialize in residential real estate for both buyers and sellers. With industry partners across North America, our resources and expertise can turn the home you've been envisioning into a reality. Visit our website at homesinmansfield.com to learn more. That's homesinmansfield.com. I'm Philip Washington, Chief Investment Officer of Stonehill Wealth Management and host of the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast. First book I read in college was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it changed my life. And since then, I've read tons and tons of books on money. And what I've done is taken those lessons, simplified them, and I talk about those lessons on the podcast, Wealth Building Made Simple. So come hang out with us. We're on every major platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on YouTube, Wealth Building Made Simple. Hi, I'm Corey Berlin, 2022 Boston Marathon finisher, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. It's been a long time coming, and HEB has finally solidified its commitment to Mansfield with a ceremonial groundbreaking on Friday. Next week, the dirt's going to be flying and your store's going to be up in about 15, 16 months. So hopefully into spring, first of summer, Let's just say 4th of July and and be pleasantly surprised if it's before then. Um. That's HEB Senior Director of Public Affairs, Mabry Jackson. Mayor Pro Tem Todd Tenori welcomed HEB to the community. Today is the beginning of a tremendous community partnership between HEB, the city of Mansfield, and our local charities, which will exist for many, many years. Again, this council and city staff are honored to be a part of this groundbreaking, and we welcome HEB and their employees to our and now their great home. Thank you. HEB officials commemorated the groundbreaking ceremony by investing $50,000 in Mansfield organizations and presented $10,000 checks to the Mansfield Women's Club, Irma Nash Elementary, Willie Brown Academy, Urban Truth, and the lot downtown. The 118,000-square-foot Mansfield HEB store will be located at the corner of US 287 and Broad Street and expects to have a full arsenal of over 700 employees, also known as partners, by the time they open in the spring of 2024. There's been a lot of talk on social media about whether the city council has given themselves a raise. Yes, they are volunteers. And whether it's legal or not, and you know what? 
we thought we would just go to the source and let's set the record straight. With us on the telephone is the uh, Mansfield City Manager, Joe Smolinski. First of all, Joe, welcome back to About Mansfield. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. And let's talk about, uh, first of all, yes, there is a $1,000 a month stipend for each of the city council people. Let's talk about the charter. Is this written into the charter that they can do this? It is. In Section 3 of the charter, uh, there's a provision in that that allows the city council to be compensated for service. And I think it's important to note here that that wasn't created by the staff or by the city council. Uh, that was a part of the charter that was voted on by the members of this community as early as 1979. Even back in the 70s, they recognized the hard work and dedication it takes to be a city council member. So the voters put that provision in the charter. And is this something that's common uh, or or is it rare? Is it Are other communities around the Metroplex or even around the state, are they doing it? They are, sure. So I'll, I'll start here locally, uh, you know, cities like... Grand Prairie, uh, City of Arlington, uh, let's see, there are others, uh, Rowlett, uh, Waxahachie, even Weatherford, you know, so there, there, are, there are cities, both comparable in size to us, smaller and larger, that uh, choose to compensate their city council members and mayor to one degree or another, yes. And then if you look statewide, you can look at all, most of the larger cities across the state do that. Some of them some of them as much as $100,000 a oh, wow. year uh, for the service. Now, I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just giving you the numbers. Uh, but uh, And then nationwide, it, it's it's fairly common. Okay. What is the process that the council went through? I would assume in, in executive uh, session, it wasn't just, hey, let's give ourselves a raise. Uh, how what, what was the process that, that the council uh, took in, in this uh in this event? Well, I'll start by saying this process started at the staff levels where it really happened. Uh, you know, over the last two years, two and a half years, the city council and their level of involvement has really evolved. Has, I mean, significantly changed. I think if you were to ask any one of them, they'd probably snicker a little bit and say, yes, it's, it's a little different than it was a few years ago. They spent a lot of time here, working on behalf of the residents and taxpayers here in town. So let me start with just what their regular posted agendas are. You know, we've, we really start around two or three in the afternoon. Now we, we had at one point in time come in at five o'clock, which is after business hours uh, for most of them. But we, we start around two or three now, and that's every other Monday. Uh, so if you think about it, they're here from two o'clock to let's just say, nine o'clock or something like that, that they're putting in a nine hour day here, seven hours, seven hours to nine hours each time they come uh, to a council meeting. So, and if you think about it, most of them on our current council are self-employed, they have businesses and there's no question in my mind that they give up, uh, you know, their time that they would usually use to be earning money and income for their family. Uh, You've got some that uh, have jobs with companies and, they give up their own PTO and stuff like that. They're taking all of their PTO to come and serve the citizens. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's fair to at least consider something like this. And when I said it started with the staff level, that was really myself and Troy Listina, our CFO and now deputy city manager, were looking at this and saying, "My gosh, you know, we we eat up a lot of their time." Now they know what they signed up for, and they're more than willing to do it. 
but there has to be some sort of recognition for the the direct cost that they uh, they incur for being a council member. So, you know, Troy and I, even last year, put an allocation in the budget. Now, it's up to the council whether or not they decide to take it. Yeah. Right. But that that did start with the CFO and myself. And so to to recap, all right, city council members receiving a thousand dollar stipend a month. It's not uncommon. It happens all over the state. The charter was amended back in the 70s by the citizens of Mansfield. Uh, The process started at the staff level, not uh, not an idea that was conjured up by the city council. And this is completely legal. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Mansfield City Manager. Uh, by the way, is is there anything that I didn't ask you? Is there, is there any any additional information that you want to add before I thank you for being on the uh, on the program? No. I, well, there's just one other thing I would add, and you know, another reason why this started is over the last several years, and, and even beyond that, uh, council members when they did incur an expense, let's say. Uh, you know, something they had to they had to buy for their office in order to make sure they were able to print out their packets and do that kind of stuff. Uh, we we would ask that they submitted receipts and whatnot to us to to reimburse them for that. This this is really a simpler process for the staff, uh, and I think one that is really just intended to to cover the costs that they incur here. So I'm I'm glad that they've made the made the decision to accept it. I think what you'll see is several of them will probably give that away to charities here locally. Um, but that that's a great thing. I think, think that speaks to their character. So when we see things online, like they're a bunch of crooks for taking it or they, they've done that in a way that wasn't transparent, I, I disagree with that. I think what you really find is that for, uh, you know, 40 some odd years, what they've done is they've passed on taking that, even though the voters told them they could have it. Yeah. City Manager Joe Smolinski, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on About Mansfield. Thank you, Steve. Have a great day. Last week's Deep Freeze is now behind us and has us pondering the question, did my plants do okay during the four days of icy weather? Yes, says the City of Mansfield Environmental Services Department. But if you're concerned about your perennials dying during the cold weather, they offer some tips to help them stay healthy. Number one is do not prune them. Learn to live with ugly for a little while longer. Pruning dead plant material can actually cause more damage throughout winter. Keep your leaves on the ground and let them cover your beds. This will insulate plant roots, keep moisture in the soil, and add nutrients as they break down. And finally, later this spring, if you discover you have to replace some of your plants, consider planting native plants that are local to North Texas. Not only are natives and adaptive plants more likely to survive the next big freeze, they can also provide a beautiful landscape while saving water too. Environmental Services offers Texas Smartscape classes where you can learn more about the plants in your yard. Log on to mansfieldtexas.gov for more information. Everybody loves a good old-fashioned pancake breakfast, and there's one coming up here in Mansfield this coming weekend we want to tell you about because not only is it a chance for you to get out of the house and 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 have some great uh, some great food, some great pancakes, but also because it benefits a, a, a great organization right here in Mansfield, the, uh, the the Mansfield Kiwanis Club. And with the Kiwanis Club is Sarah Brantley. She's here to tell us about the pancake breakfast. Sarah, first of all, welcome to About Mansfield. Hi, thank you. Tell us when, where, tell us about the pancake breakfast. 
So we are doing a fundraiser. It's an old fundraiser that our club has done in the past that we are bringing back. And we are having a pancake breakfast on Saturday, February the 11th from 7.30 to 11 at the Burkett Service Center here in Mansfield. We are trying to raise money for scholarships for MISD students for um, the Feed the Kids program here in Mansfield. And then we also raise money to support our key club students to um, send them to their leadership conference every year. This coming Saturday, and what time does it start? What time does it finish? It starts at 7.30, and then we'll close around, around 11. Is there anything aside from pancakes? I mean, who doesn't like pancakes? But is there anything else on the menu that's going to be served? We'll have pancakes. We'll have um, breakfast sausage. We'll have coffee and juice and milk available as well. All right. Now, the money, again, it goes to Kiwanis, but then specifically for the, the MISD. What, uh, give me an example of how that money is, is going to be used. So we give out scholarships to MISD students every year. Um, we actually increased our scholarship amount this year to $1,500 per scholarship. Um, we provide the food bags for Feed the Kids Mansfield. So um, all of the families in the community that receive um, free food weekly from Feed the Kids, um, we provide the bags that the food goes into. And then we also, so all of our high schools, our six high schools in Mansfield have a, a, a club called the Key Club. And that is a service club. So young kids are getting involved in doing service around the community. And then we help send them to their leadership conference every year. The key club really getting them ready to become Kiwanis members, which is a service organization. Absolutely. Which is how I got involved in Kiwanis because my daughter was a key clubber in high school. Oh, nice. Okay. So again, uh, the, the, the good old fashioned pancake breakfast. It's this coming Saturday, February 11th, 7.30 a.m. to 11 at the Chris Burkett Center uh, Service Center there on South Wisteria Street. If you know where the library is, keep going south. You can't miss it. It's a big building on the right. And uh, Sarah, is there anything else? I, I Anything you want to add? Anything I missed? Um, I think just that the cost for an adult plate is $7 and the cost for a child's plate is $4. And other than that, we're hoping to see lots of people from the community to come out and see us. Um, If anybody has any interest and wants to learn more about what the Kiwanis Club is and what we do, we meet every Friday morning at 7 o'clock at Market Street. And we're hoping to see lots of people come out from the community on Saturday. Excellent. Sarah, we'll see you on Saturday. Thank you. If you have a comment about the show, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, you can reach out to us by voicemail at 817-435-2938. Again, that's 817-435-2938. Or you can email us at news at aboutmansfield.com. This coming Thursday, February 9th, is National Pizza Day, a day where Americans pay homage to one of the country's most beloved foods. Oh, and how we love our pizza. Over 3 billion pizzas are sold in the U.S. each year, pepperoni being the most popular. On top of that, add another 1 billion frozen pizzas. Americans consume over 23 pounds of pizza per year 
on average. So this Thursday, whether it's a plain cheese or a pepperoni or a margarita, go out and visit your favorite pizzeria and abondanza. Let's head on over to the weather desk and check the forecast for the upcoming week with Colleen, whose favorite pizza is... I love almost all pizza, Steve. Currently, my favorite pizza is actually a Papa Murphy's take-and-bake veggie pizza. It's got garlic cream sauce on a thin crust and is covered with a thick layer of fabulous veggies, zucchini, tomatoes, artichoke hearts, mushrooms, and spinach delicious. And because you bake it at home, you get credit for a homemade dinner. Let's take a look at the weather for the next seven days in Mansfield, Texas. The rain that started Tuesday is allegedly going to wrap up by early afternoon Wednesday. We'll dry up for a few days before another serious chance of rain next Monday into Tuesday. We're looking at seasonably appropriate highs for the next week. We'll have a high of 55 degrees on Wednesday, 61 degrees on Thursday, 51 degrees on Friday, 57 degrees on Saturday, 62 degrees on Sunday, 63 degrees Monday, and 64 degrees Tuesday. Coming up after the break, we turn the page to the features section. I'm Dennis Webb, and in today's science segment, we will discuss a local science story that never was. I'm Angel Biasati with Methodist Mansfield News to Know, and we'll be talking about heart health with Dr. Manzori, an interventional cardiologist on staff at Methodist Mansfield Medical Center. What happens when a house is no longer a home? I'm Beth Steinke, and today on the Mansfield Real Estate Report, we are going to discuss what happens when you have to sell a house due to divorce. In this week's Cocktail of the Week segment, I'll be talking about a cocktail that'll have you actually looking forward to the next time a friend stops by unexpectedly. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is About Mansfield. At Methodist Health System, every person we treat Good morning, class. is a vital part of the communities we call home. Table for two. That's why we're dedicated to exceptional, innovative care. From robotic surgery and advanced oncology to helping you find a healthier path. And hold that pose. Three, two, one. Being there when and where our neighbors need us. The doctor will be right in. That's community. And why so many people trust Methodist. No matter your familiarity with buying or selling real estate, having an experienced, trusted advisor on speed dial is priceless. The Roger and Beth team of Century 21 Judge Fight is here to be that resource for you. Whether you're buying right here in Mansfield or your dreams are taking you elsewhere, we are ready to help you with turning that vision into a reality. To learn more, visit our website at homesinmansfield.com. That's homesinmansfield.com. Congratulations to Coy Miller, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. Which Mansfield City Park is the oldest, and when did it open? Built in 1960 by a citizens group, Julian Field Park on East Broad Street, just west of 287, is the oldest park in Mansfield. The park was named after one of Mansfield's original founders, Julian Field. Serenity Gardens was added in 2001 during a park renovation as a quiet place for reflection and remembering loved ones. Koi has won a $25 gift card to a local Mansfield eatery. 
when we come back. This week's trivia question, this is about Mansfield. Hey, it's Steve Casillo. I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio 3.0. It's where we record and produce the About Mansfield podcast episodes. What started out as an audio-only studio, Podcast Mansfield is now a full-service audio and video recording studio, complete with custom green screen backgrounds, two high-definition cameras, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities, and we can also help market your podcast. Podcast Mansfield is home to such great locally produced shows, such as Wealth Building Made Simple, we are TPM and Wealth Think Tank Television, just to name a few. So whether you're a hands-on person or just need a place to record your podcast or need advice from concept to completion, Podcast Mansfield is here to help. Conveniently located on Heritage Parkway just off of 287 right here in Mansfield, mention the About Mansfield podcast and you get to record your first episode at no charge. For more information on starting your podcast, or if you're looking for a better place to record, Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. Hi, this is Joe Jenkins with Joe Jenkins Farmers Insurance, specializing in auto, home, commercial, and life insurance. I was born and raised here in Mansfield, Texas. We're active in the community, and Mansfield's a town we really care about. Our office has over 30 years experience in the insurance industry, and we're passionate about what we do and about customer service. For a free quote, please visit our website at joejenkinsinsurance.com or give us a call at 817-472-6058. Once again, that website is joejenkinsinsurance.com. It is time right now for the highly coveted, wildly popular About Mansfield trivia question. If you are the first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com, you will receive a $25 gift card to a local Mansfield eatery brought to you by Joe Jenkins Insurance. Whether you're looking for homeowners, auto, commercial, or any other type of insurance, Joe has helped Mansfield area residents understand the insurance coverage that best fit their needs since 2010. You can find him on the internet at joejenkinsinsurance.com. By the way, not every winner wins on a Wednesday. If you're listening on a Thursday or Friday, a Saturday, you know what? Give it a shot. You may be taking home a $25 restaurant gift card. Let's get to this week's question. Colleen? Well, Steve, the Jerry Knight STEM Academy was created in Mansfield to teach young learners with an advanced academics focus. This week's trivia question is, what does STEM stand for? Email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, what does the acronym STEM stand for? Good luck, and thanks to Joe Jenkins Insurance for the gift card. Hi, I'm Karen Marcucci, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield, your audio newspaper. Let's open up the features section. Let's head on over to the science desk where roving science reporter Dennis Webb has a local science story. Dennis? Thank you, Steve. Hey, do you remember when we started this segment, you asked me to do this, and I said, Steve, there are not many science stories in Mansfield. And you said, well, write what you want, so I did. This week, I have a very local science story from nearly 40 years ago. In 1983, the community of American particle physicists were asked by President Ronald Reagan's science advisor to think about big and bold projects. The physicists had been considering a very large circular particle accelerator. The basic design came together as a 54-mile circumference underground tube with the particles accelerated by massive superconducting magnets cooled by liquid helium. It was called the superconducting supercollider. 
it would be able to accelerate particles to 20 tera electron volts. It's kind of a, a strange figure, but it, that's 20 times the energy of any existing or then planned particle accelerator. It was a big, hairy, audacious project that would likely lead to decades of fundamental new kinds of discoveries in particle physics, where the USA would be seen as the leader. Particle accelerators had been used for a variety of research and practical use, but were first built in the 1930s to smash atomic nuclei into each other, as us humans figured out how atomic nuclei worked, how heavy isotopes were formed in the stars, and to validate theories used to make nuclear weapons. Some particle accelerators work with beams of lighter, lighter particles, like electrons or protons, to figure out or do other useful things. A variety of sites in the U.S. were considered for this massive new project, but Waxahachie, two towns over to the east, won. The main advantage this site had was that the tunnels would be bored through a geologic form called Austin Chalk. It is soft enough for the giant boring machines to drill quickly, yet the tunnels would be sturdy and self-supporting. President Reagan approved the project in 1987 with an initial budget of $4.4 billion, and work began in earnest. However, by 1993, the cost had more than doubled, and the U.S. Congress canceled it. By this time, some 2,000 people were here working on the project, 200 of, of which were scientists, including some from outside the U.S., Many of the scientists and project team had relocated to this corner of Texas, and with the end of the project, there was a brief collapse in house values as they left. A few stayed, a few of those to become ranchers. Others left the physical science business completely to become Wall Street analysts or video game designers. The partially built facilities were abandoned, including several miles of completed underground tunnels and some very large buildings. Several prospective buyers considered it for a range of uses, some crazy, but finally a local chemical company, MagnaBlend, bought it after their local plant in Waxahachie blew up in 2011. If the superconducting super collider had been successful, we would have had a series of the most important particle physics announcements happening in the next county over. Some of our neighbors today might be world-famous particle physicists or project managers and engineers and leaders of the science and the operation. A rotating cast of young postdoc researchers would be sharing small apartments hoping to be offered a permanent position. After the superconducting supercollider was canceled, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, also called CERN in European, upgraded their small underground circle to deal with larger particles and is now called the Large Hadron Collider. And the science that would have been happening in Waxahachie moved near Geneva, Switzerland. You may remember the Higgs boson discovery that the Large Hadron Collider made in 2012. It was thought that the superconducting supercollider might have done this 10 years earlier. So why was the superconducting supercollider super canceled? It's a complicated story involving the U.S. Congress and politics, both the conventional time and that among the particle physicists' world. First, the initial cost estimates had assumed a lot of the funding help from the state of Texas and a large number of other participating nations who were invited to join in the project. Texas did pledge $900 million and India pledged $50 million, but none of the other countries recruited came through with money. 
While there are a number of large global partnerships on expensive big science projects, they are usually full partnerships, each partner building part of the facility as well as contributing to the development and operational cost. For, for this device, the international invitations by the U.S. Department of Energy were instead, this is an American project led by Americans. Give us your money and we will let your researchers use it. They were close to getting Japan to take this deal, but a variety of other circumstances chilled the deal, perhaps symbolized by President George Herbert Walker Bush throwing up on the Japanese Prime Minister at a state dinner in Japan. The second factor was the poor state of relations between the advocates for the superconducting supercollider and members in committees of the U.S. Congress. Most members of Congress did not really grasp the importance of the facility, though some saw the international prestige it would bring. Some members of Congress saw the advocating physicist as arrogant and patronizing, which is a very poor bargaining position, particularly if you are back asking for more money. NASA has intermittently suffered from this, this same problem, though there is good congressional understanding of and support for what we call space programs. Also, the particle physics world continued to squabble over obscure minutiae in the press after the initial approval in 1987. This is a very dumb thing to do, particularly if someone has to go to Congress and ask for more money. At the time, I was aware of this project and hoped it, it could work, but recall two water cooler rumors around the time of the cancellation. First, it was reported that superconducting supercollider development management was paying $10,000 a month for cut flowers in the headquarters building. This is an unflattering wastefulness in a federal program. Second, this was back in the good old days when the Congress worked hard on making compromises in appropriating the federal budget. The appropriation leaders are thought to have told the Texas congressional delegation, look, Texas can have the space station or the superconducting supercollider, but not both. There are enough of you to make this choice stick. They apparently chose the space station, which was the project I was working on. I was glad my program was saved, but if I recall correctly, it was only by a single vote. We in NASA were being chastised for our arrogance and a sense of entitlement. Though I did ache for the superconducting supercollider. Giant federal programs are not for sissies. What might have been... If you have any science questions for me to answer here, send an email to info at aboutmansfield.com. From the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. Angel Biasati offers up some tips on maintaining a healthy heart in today's Methodist Mansfield News to Know. Anyone can be at risk for heart disease. It's the number one killer of both men and women in the U.S., but it's also one we can actually help prevent. Dr. Manzori, what can we do to help our heart and prevent us from being a statistic? Well, one of the easiest things you can do is to get moving. 30 minutes a day, activity, including walking, dancing, simple movements. You don't have to go rock climbing or, uh, you know, jogging. Pretty much this will allow you to reduce your risk of heart disease and improve your blood pressure. It's a small step everybody can do. Making time in your life for your health is the single most important thing you can do for yourself. People can also lower their risk of heart disease with multiple lifestyle changes. Watch your blood pressure and cholesterol levels and work to improve these numbers. And maintaining an ideal body weight is ideal. You got to stop smoking, choose a diet low in saturated fat, trans fats, and sodium. Eat whole grain, fruits, and vegetables. In addition... It's also important to understand that not all heart attacks are sudden, 
and they don't necessarily have severe symptoms. It could be insidious. You could have mild symptoms. You could have occasional symptoms. They may not even be chest discomfort, nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath, decrease in stamina, uh, and pretty much any discomfort above the diaphragm should really start making you think. And if you develop any of these symptoms, if you have any doubts, you call 911 or see your local cardiologist. Thank you, Dr. Mansori. Let's all pledge ourselves to better heart health. You can sign up for our Methodist Mansfield Medical Center heart tips, recipes, exercise ideas, and fun events at methodisthealthsystem.org backslash heart month. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm Angel Biasati with Methodist Mansfield News to Know. Realtor Beth Steinke navigates how to sell a house during a divorce in the Mansfield Real Estate Market Update. Divorce can be a challenging and difficult process for everyone involved. It can create emotional distress, financial difficulties, and can also have an impact on the relationships with family and friends. The process of separating from a spouse can be overwhelming, especially when trying to divide assets, make custody arrangement for children, navigate legal proceedings too, and in many cases, sell the family home. When it's time to sell your home due to a divorce, the stress levels can run especially high. But when you have a skilled real estate agent to help you navigate the bumpy waters, it can turn the Poseidon adventure into much calmer waters. I'm going to share with you the three guiding principles that we use that help both parties make a graceful exit. The first principle is communication. It's always our goal to communicate to both parties simultaneously, if you'll agree to it. We will leverage technology to present offers through Zoom, use joint text messaging, and group emails. Communicating simultaneously helps reduce miscommunications and stress and helps both parties feel heard and equally represented. This one piece alone can relieve a ton of worry and stress during the home sale. The second principle is to create a curated presentation of the home. When your home is on the market, agents will notice if there are two names on the title, but only one spouse in the house. All too often when a buyer walks through the front door, their first question is, why are they selling? Once you get to the primary bedroom closet, we can usually tell if there are only clothes there for one person. We don't want agents to think that they can use that for negotiating power to get a better deal or that you're desperate for an offer. So we will stage the house to make it seem like both spouses are still living there. Why is that important? That goes to our third and most important principle of all, confidentiality. I can't tell you how many agents will overshare information about their client's situation. I mean, after all, we are so friendly and helpful here in Texas. But rest assured, we won't be telling anyone anything about your divorce. It's none of their business. When your nosy neighbors or curious buyers ask why you are moving, we tell them what we would tell everyone. They love this house, and it no longer fits their lifestyle. Because we believe in discretion. We want to treat you like we would want to be treated if we were going through this ourselves. Now, what happens if you cannot agree on which agent to choose, what price to sell for, or which offer to select? At some point, if you have truly come to an impasse that your agent cannot work through with you, your home in this matter will go into receivership. Now, you've heard that term used with the Britney Spears situation. Well, don't be like Britney Spears. Don't wait for the judge to appoint a receiver who will make all the decisions for you. That's not in anyone's best interest. If you or someone you know needs to make a graceful exit this year, 
or in the future, share these important principles with them so they can set the right expectations from the start with their real estate agent. Getting this one thing right could be a difference maker for them and for you. Now let's get to this week's Mansfield market update. As of February 6th, there are 84 active and available homes for sale in Mansfield, excluding new construction. This number continues to decline. Homes this week range for $190,000 to a $1.3 million single story on over seven acres. Last week, 14 homes sold despite the ice storm, and eight of those were new construction. Do you have questions about the real estate market or homes in Mansfield? Send a message to info at aboutmansfield.com. For the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Beth Steinke with Century 21 Judge Fight. Shaken or stirred, either way, you know it's going to be good, as Brian Certain serves up another wonderful libation in the Cocktail of the Week. This week's Cocktail of the Week is the Freezer Door Gimlet. Today, I'm starting a new series on freezer door cocktails. We're getting to that time of year when gatherings are starting to be plentiful. And while hosting friends and family is a lot of fun, trying to manage a thoughtful food and drink menu for a crowd can be a bit overwhelming. Sure, pre-made items are great, but sometimes you really want to wow your guests. So instead of serving the typical wine or canned beverage this year, consider a freezer door cocktail. If this term is new to you, think of it as an all-in-one pre-mixed drink right in the liquor bottle that can be made ahead, left in the freezer until ready to serve, or frankly, until you just want a delicious cocktail to have on hands at all time. Personally, I discovered this concept a number of years ago reading a Stuart Woods book in the Stone Barrington series of books. The latest one is coming out in June, and it'll actually be the 65th of the series and the main character is Stone Barrington. And Stone is a, is a retired New York police detective turned attorney. And his drink of choice is always Knob Creek bourbon. But he always has one or two ready-made cocktails in his freezer door for companions that don't drink bourbon. And his is always going to be the Gimlet. But doing research on this topic, I also stumbled across an article on bhg.com and an interview with J.M. Hirsch. Mr. Hirsch is the editorial director of Christopher Kimball's Milk Street. So what is a freezer door cocktail? Freezer door cocktails are batch cocktails that you build in the bottle. It's a fun, easy way to have cocktails ready whenever you need them. The concept is easy. You take a full bottle of liquor, whichever is the primary liquor of the cocktail you're making, pour off just enough to add the other ingredients needed to make it a full bottle of the drink. The bottle is then stored on the freezer door, keeping it chilled and ready to drink. What I love about freezer door cocktails is it allows people to enjoy quality pre-made cocktails. Most canned cocktails are not particularly good. But when you batch it yourself, you get to select the ingredients and adjust the flavors to suit you. So where did the freezer door cocktail come from? Well, freezer door cocktails aren't a new concept, as I said earlier, but only recently caught on. And until a few years ago, most people didn't give much to a pre-made cocktail. But there's been a tremendous growth in the canned and other so-called ready-to-drink cocktails that has made more people familiar with the idea and kind of primed them for the idea of freezer door cocktails. But just like baking requires science, putting mixed drinks in a freezer to stay chilled but not frozen also takes strategy. 
you have to balance the freezing point of the various liquors against the other ingredients you add. Most liquors freeze at about negative 16 degrees Fahrenheit, but adding sweeteners or other watery ingredients such as juice raises the temperature at which it will freeze, bringing it closer to the zero degrees Fahrenheit most home freezers are set to. The closer you get to that, the more likely your cocktail will freeze or turn slushy. So with this in mind, we have to get a little creative when we're crafting cocktails for the freezer. So another thing to consider is when making a batch cocktail in the freezer is dilution. When making cocktails, they're usually shaken or stirred with ice. This chills the drink, but it also dilutes it as well, which is part of the finished flavor. So you're interested in looking into more freezer door cocktail recipes? Well, you can follow me for the next six weeks, and I'm going to give you my top six. You can also check out the videos on TikTok, and there are 3.9 million views on these and counting. You can also take a look and stay tuned for Hirsch's book dedicated to freezer door cocktails coming out in the spring of 2024. He says that he's going to be spending the next few months sorting out what and how to freeze all of our favorite cocktails. His goal is that people can enjoy making and drinking them without having to worry about doing freezer door math. But more on freezer door math in another episode. But don't worry, as always, about taking notes as I'm giving out the ingredients and instructions. They'll always be posted on bourbongospel.com. So here's today's Cocktail of the Week. We're calling it Stone Barrington's Freezer Door Gimlet. So the first thing you're going to do is get a good bottle of vodka. It doesn't have to be a great bottle. I like Monopolova. It's a potato vodka. There's many other good vodkas out there. Um, Wheatley Vodka, which is made in Kentucky, is also one of my favorites. You're going to pour out about six ounces from a 750 milliliter bottle. You'll think of something to do with it, I promise, don't pour it down the drain, and replace it with Rose's sweetened lime juice and a little bit of water. You really want to use the roses for the sweetener added instead of straight, pure, fresh lime juice. And then you're going to add just a couple of splashes of water to fill back up in the bottle. Shake it, put it in the freezer overnight or longer, the water actually creates nice little ice shards that when you pour the cocktail out are still there. And then when you're ready to serve, make sure you take it out. Make sure the, the top is on tightly. There's a story behind that that we won't get into. Shake it to remix anything that's separated. Pour into a chilled martini glass and enjoy. As always, I'm open to hear your take and your input. You can reach me at bourbongospel at gmail.com. And until next week, as Mark Twain said, too much of anything is bad. But too much whiskey is barely enough. Reporting for the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Brian Certain. Hi, this is Daryl Perez, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to another segment of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo as we make the transition from news to talk. And you know the voice because you hear him every week here on the podcast. He is Brian Certain. He does the cocktail of the week. Brian's brought a few friends with him today. Brian, first of all, welcome back to About Mansfield. Thank you, Steve. It's always a pleasure being back. And it's good to have you as part of the the interview section because we always hear you in the in the feature section and um, you have an organization as we hear each week called Bourbon Gospel and the topic of today really is the is the importance of a good cocktail cherry. Would that be and, and and more importantly, 
not using bad cherries. Not use oh, <laughs> the difference between a dark cherry and and a pink one. Uh, yes, okay. yeah, the disgusting um, thing that some bars use and put into the classic old fashioned, and we take and send back because right. that just runs the cocktail. Before we get into the actual cherries, uh, why don't you start from your wi- uh, your right and work your way around the table and introduce the people. This is your board of. Of this is the Bourbon Bur- Gospel Board. The elders. Um, the elders. <laughs> um, we do not have choir boys. We do not have altar boys as part of our group. That's just part of our our rules. Yeah. Um, but to my right is the Minister of Moist, Ron McCraney. Moist is a an acronym. It is okay. Ron. What does the acronym stand for? It stands for Marketing Operations and Integrated Systems Technology. Moist, which is a very long. Phrase, so we like to shorten a little bit. And to your left? And to my left is our executive pastor and chief pilot, Hugh Hutton. Oh, hi, everybody. And Hugh's been on the <laughs> show before. before. You yes. are a uh, retired uh, air traffic, air tra- control. Air traffic yes. controller, and we had you on the show um, a year or yeah. so ago. Great fun. And uh, retirement doesn't suck. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. And, uh, and to, to Hugh's left? Is our um, pastor of the always, so Carlos Figueroa is next to Hugh. And Carlos always makes sure that whenever we're doing an engagement in the public and funds are being made, um, that we're always finding a great local charity to donate to. And so as such, Carlos is our pastor of missionary positions. My favorite position. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and Brian, Brian and Hugh and myself have brought, so between the three of us, we've brought four cherries to the table. So we often, as we discuss privately and together, um, the use of great cherries, and we have seen the cherries, and sometimes we look at my cherry, the Lazardo cherry, and was like, gosh darn, those can get expensive. And so we have looked on our favorite shopping store, Amazon, and seen alternative cherries. And we've had the debate as to which one is the best. And as Steve and I were talking, I said, we need to do an episode to end this discussion once and for all, damn the cost. It's a factor, but damn the cost because life's too short to drink cheap booze or to eat cheap cherries. And so we are going to settle the debate as to which is the best cocktail cherry going forward for cocktails. Brian, let's start with you. You brought Lozardo cherries. Tell me why and and give a little history about the cherries. Well, first off, Lozardo cherries are the oldest of the four that we have. They go back to 1821. To my knowledge, it's the only cherry here today that is gluten-free, GMO-free, kosher certified, and vegan friendly. But the history of the Lozardo cherry goes back to 1821 in, in a, in a province called Zara, which was the Venetian capital of De Malta over 400 years ago. And through that, in the 1800s, they actually were able to get a proclamation from the emperor of Austria that this became an exclusive privilege to make and found the distillery that still exists today and still owned by the Lazardo family. So Girolamo Lazardo is the founder of the foundry in 1821. Um, the foundry stood and, until World War II when it was bombed out of existence. 
um, and coming out of World War II and people left that area and, and settled in Italy, an actual surviving member. He is the last surviving member, and he's part of the fourth generation of the Lozardo family to continue and run the factory. But they started a new facility, and today they actually have over a 100 different Lozardo products, including a limoncello, an amaretto, bitters, maraschino cherry liqueur. But again, it's now being run by the seventh generation of the Lozardo family. Wow. And it's still aged in copper pot stills. They're using the cherries from the same cherries, um, the cherry orchards. And again, that's why the Lozardo cherries are the best. Plus, it's the only one that doesn't have a whole laundry list of ingredients in the bottle. This is why Lozardo cherries, in your opinion, among the people in this room, are the best. That is my opinion. Okay. Now, Hugh Hunton, the uh, uh, the executive pastor and chief pilot, so, you you brought two cherries in. I did. For years, Brian and I both agreed on the Lozardo cherries, but it was, let's, let's look at price point and see if there's something else out there that's as good, if not better. And I discovered the uh, the Amarina cherry. They're, uh, they're grown in Italian cities of Bologna and Modena. And uh, it's bottled in syrup, used, and it was used as a decoration on rich chocolate desserts. So that intrigued me. It's like, hey, that must be pretty good. So uh, they were developed by Gennaro Fabri, Gennaro's wife, Rachel. She had an old general store, which was near a wild black cherry orchard. She picked the cherries, and like the Lozardo, she cooked them in sugar and copper pots. And to thank his wife for the treat, he bought a ceramic jar from Ricardo Gatti. And if you get on get on Amazon and look at these uh, cherries, they are in a pretty pretty little decorative pot. Yeah, they are pretty ornate. Yep. Um, and the white and blue ceramic jar was then used to sell the syrup and start a small company. So they started commercial production of their cherry products in 1905. So they are newer than the Lozardos, but they're still over 100 years old. And it is, like the Lozardo, still family-owned, and they produce a number of natural cherry pastries, syrups, and beverages. So the one I was used to was the the one I the first one I tried was the Amarina Toshi cherry. And uh, they're $1.23 an ounce on Amazon because, you know, price is a part of this, mm-hmm. but not that we care today. Um, they're picked in July in the Vignola Mountains of Italy. You get mostly sour but refreshing notes from these babies. Their ideal is a garnish on gelato and chocolate desserts, or in that sweet cocktail that could use some sourness to break it up. Now, I'd never thought of a cherry as being sour, but that they're in that sweet sauce, so it's pretty good. Um, and the other one none of us have tasted, and I haven't either, because when I picked up my last order, I noticed they had a different bottle. And this is the Fabri um, Amarina Cherry, and they're a little bit cheaper. They're 92 cents an ounce, and they were the original. They were produced since 1905. With a guarded recipe, and uh, they part most, they're a, a bitter flavor also, and that makes them popular on desserts or dropped in a glass of Prosecco, yeah. which would be interesting to try. I've not done that. And uh, they're, have you ever done an Amaro cocktail? I have. So it says on here that they would be a natural complement to an Amaro cocktail. So you might give that a try. But uh, <clears throat> unless you buy the Luxardos in a six pounder, or six ounce, no, six pound or twelve pound jar, which Brian and I used to do the twelve pound jar. I I think the the Amarina cherries are cheaper per ounce than the Lazardos, but we're gonna we're, we don't care about cost today. We're gonna we're going on flavor. So we've got the the, the Lazardo, the Amarina, 
And I brought in a jar of Peninsula Premium Cocktail Cherries. I don't have a fabled background of cher- uh, history of, of, of these cherries. It's th- these are that, not from uh, these are not from Italy. These are 100% American grown. The Peninsula Premium namesake is the northwest coast of Michigan's Lower Peninsula region with rolling hills, sandy soil, the temperate climate moderated by Lake Michigan are hailed as ideal conditions for cherry cultivation. I could make up a story, but I'm not. So, um, at uh, the, the proof is in the pudding, Steve. That's right. The the jar or the that, cherry this time. The jar that I buy is 1.25 pounds. Comes out to a dollar five an ounce, which is you know pretty much in line with the Lazardos and the uh, the Amarinas, and and so uh, Brian. How do we want to get started? We've got uh, five cherries on a plate. Four cherries. Four cherries on a plate. There are five of us that are here. (gasps) Okay. Ron. I did five cherries on a plate, though. You did do five cherries on a plate. Yeah, because I want to taste with you guys, even though I already know the secrets. So Ron has set up a blind tasting for us, other than what we see on the plate within the cherry and a toothpick. We don't know which cherry is which cherry. So we figured out this is... And our our thought process, this is the fairest way to do it, just based off of flavor alone, not having an understanding of, well, getting it out of this bottle or that bottle, but just trying the cherries by themselves. And so we have four plates, one for each of the cherries, and there are five cherries on each plate. And um, so I guess we'll try the first one. Okay. All righty. I'll get them all handed out. Ron so has handed one. a plate. To Brian. Brian is uh, taking a toothpick and uh, putting the cherry into his mouth. He's swirling it around. I believe he's now chewing it. He seemed to lick the cherry first. Is that? Should we lick I just the wanted to first? make sure it didn't drip on me. I like how Ron smeared the syrup on the plate so we can see the different color variations. And the plates are not in the same order as the jar sitting on the table. So don't get any wise ideas. Okay. Thoughts on cherry number one? Sour, definitely. Yes, sour. Um, the um, the sour notes are just really, really strong. I don't catch any bitter notes. Yeah, um, that's, I'd never heard them called bitter before. That was interesting. So, um, but again, very, very sour. Um, it's the berry itself is um, crisp. It, it's firm to the bite. Um, and it doesn't seem like the liquid's penetrated the cherry. Probably not as much as, long. as some of the other ones. So it's maybe. not as moist. Yeah. Well, as the well, the internal. Of the cherry, that is. Yeah, like yeah, the outside yeah. is, is definitely slick and moist, but yeah. it's definitely makes you bite your cheeks, though. Yeah, a little pucker factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reminds okay. me of a, as a kid sitting in the cherry tree we hit in our backyard and pulling the cherries right off the tree and eating them out there. Mom would yell at you, you better not be in that tree eating them cherries. <laughs> <laughs> so I would not be offended if I had a cocktail with that cherry in it. Um, but again, I, I, it is different than my normal cherry for my palate. At least that's my guess so far. So shall we move to... Now, uh, did, Ron, did you bring crackers to clean the palate between cherries? No, but I think Brian poured us a little something earlier. So Brian, uh, Brian in, explain to the audience what we uh, what we have here in between cherries. So in a episode of the podcast, I have done a whole series on freezer door cocktails. And so knowing we were getting together today and was recording some sessions today, I have brought one of my freezer door cocktails. Um, so this is the Paper Hornet 
Um, the Paper Hornet is a cocktail that I was introduced to um, pre-COVID in New Orleans at Toops Meadery. And it's a combination of screwball peanut butter whiskey, um, banana liqueur, and a little bit of Amaro, um, which is an Italian digestive or something you would drink after a meal to help digest your food. So, so it's very appropriate that we have an Amaro cocktail. Correct. With the, the bitters. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so this is a freezer door cocktail. So I make it in the bottle itself, pour out part of it and um, put them together. And again, you can listen to that episode to how you do that. But I brought that to us to sample. So again, peanut butter, whiskey, banana liqueur, it's called a paper hornet. I like to call it an Elvis Presley. I think that's a little bit more appropriate. But again, the restaurant called it a paper hornet, so I will keep up with that name. Let's go to cherry number two. Ron, uh, Ron is going to administer. <laughs> it's kind of a weird word to you. He's yes, going administer. to hand out the uh, the cherries here. The communion and plate of cherries. So if y'all want to take either notes on your phone or mental notes, of each of these and see if you can guess at the end which one you think it is. And we'll see how close everybody is. And Carlos just refuses to participate. Nice. Oh, wow. That was good. So not nearly as sour. It, yeah, it right. has a little bitter component to me. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, not, not in a bad way. The feels like the cherry has probably been in the syrup a little longer than the first one. Yeah. Um, it's definitely taking on some sweet notes. I'm definitely not picking up that fresh berry sour notes that I would pick up in a fresh, um, as Carlos described, cherries right out of the cherry tree. Were you doing that with George Washington, by the way, Carlos? I'm not quite that old. Thank you. Okay. Just the lack of hair thought, I thought maybe. (laughs) That's where my mom was smacking me enough times in the head saying, get out of the tree. (laughs) Ah, did it work? No. Okay. And Hugh mentioned earlier that the different syrups that are on the plates and the first one I would have. I'd probably classify that as closer to a ruby um, color, very much a red color. The second one kind of has like a burgundy, almost a brown tint. Yeah, the first it. one I would almost describe as a raspberry jam-looking mm-hmm. color. Yeah. Yes. It's fairly bright red, um, but this one is definitely a darker. Almost like a balsamic vinegar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. For Are, me, that coloration and the way it's on the plate is very reticent of a, um, a reduced balsamic vinegar. Yeah, and I, f- I found the cherry to be very neutral, um, mm-hmm. not much flavor one way or the other. Let's move on to cherry number three of four, three of four. Ron has now gotten up out of his chair. He is handing the plate of cherries over to Brian, who is taking cherry number one from this plate, again, licking it before he puts it into his mouth. <laughs> and... I, I think to save Ron the breath, the heavy breathing of getting up and down, I'll pass this last plate around. I'd appreciate that. You're welcome, sir. You can notice where they pitted the cherry. That's pretty interesting. And, oh, wow. Oh, yes. That was more candied. Definitely a great mix between one and two. A little bit fresher on the palate. I would never describe a cherry as thick, but... It's it's full, mm-hmm. yeah, very, mm-hmm. and not as not as um, sour as the first one, but definitely much more flavorful. The first one was very sour. The second one's uh, tangy uh, on the tongue, but that, this one was that was more like dessert candy. I was going to say kind of like cherry pie filling. Yes, oh yeah, is what yes. it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. It just dances along the tongue there. <clears throat> not, nothing in the cheeks like the first one. That was all on the tongue. And this is a darker syrup, similar to the second one, except the second one. 
um, had a little bit more of that brown tint to it, while this one looks to me more like a dark Well, it's plum. a lot thicker because you can see the pattern, how it rolls mm -hmm. and the legs on it versus that one. Mm -hmm. And from our wine, I would think more like a Merlot. Yes. Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. Cabernet. Very dark. Yes. Um, red tint to it. All right. And the final one, Carlos, do you want to do the honors so that... Yes, I will pass it around so I save Ron the trouble of having to stand again. Well, I'm already hit my steps for the day, so I'd rather not go over. He's mm. step count set for two. Mm. Yep, I know this one. And the plate is being passed around the table. The cherries have been inserted into respective mouths. It's like a chocolate cherry. Very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the ones not with the cream, but the actual cherry yes. in the middle, the liquor yes. that comes with that. Kind of reminds me of Tussin a little bit, you know, or Robitussin. Uh, I... A little medicinal. No, that must be you. It might be me. <laughs> Maybe it's the kind that we used to get growing up. And the syrup on the plate is not nearly as viscous or thick as the others. Mm -hmm. um, the first one, I think, is uh, probably the thinnest. Was yeah. it the cherry deli? Was it called um, the chocolate with the cherry in the middle? Ghirardelli. Ghirardelli's, yes. Mm -hmm. That's what that reminded me of. But the, the syrup on this one is much thinner. Mm -hmm. um, you I definitely think that see the, more of the plate. I think the syrup of two and three are going to play much better in an old-fashioned type cocktail, um, just because it's going to handle the big, bold flavors of the bourbon and the simple syrup. Um, the first one, the syrup is almost going to just get passed in the flavor profile. Same thing, I think, in the fourth one. Um, now, cherries, old-fashions are not the only cocktail we put cherries in. Mm -mm. Um, I have just learned that it is bar lore that you never include an even number of whatever you're adding. So it's never an even number of olives. And we have always been adding two cherries to our old fashions, but that's bad luck. So from now on, I will always be serving at least one or three cherries to my old fashions based on bar luck, because I need all the luck I can get. And if you look at the jar of cherries that I brought today, right there on the label, speared are three cherries. And that, Yes. I don't know if the cherry manufacturer knows about the good luck, bad luck, but there just happened to be three cherries speared into a, uh, a toothpick. Mm -hmm. That would look nice rested across the top of the rim of the glass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, am I the only one at the table who's never tried any of these the cherries except for... The Lizardo? Lizardo. I've tried, based off of Steve's recommendation, I have tried the Peninsula, and at Hughes' house, I've been I've been lucky enough to try the um, the original um, Fabry, the, um, the Toshi, the Toshi. Yeah. Um, I've never tried the wild cherries as well, um, but I have had the the Toshis. Um, so, so I've had three of the four before, um, and we talked about adding a regular maraschino to the mix. But I said visually, we'll be able to pick it out all day long. So, um, so these we are the ones we settled on. Tying the stem in a knot with her tongue. <laughs> and I didn't want to have to make everyone close their eyes or be blindfolded and then hand feed you cherries. That was. Oh, thank you, Ron. Yes, yeah, that's for Ron and I's private time. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the interest of time, because we only have a couple of minutes left, let's go ahead and uh, we'll start with, with Brian, work our way around the table. What. In what order, starting one, two, three, and four, do you think the cherries were, and which one was your favorite? So my favorite was three. Hugh, do you have a final decision? Yeah, fa favorite uh, cherry number three was my favorite. I, well, I've got mine. So one is by Ron, right? Four by me. 
Yes. Correct. So I'd have to say three, one, two, four. And my favorite, uh, I, I guess number three. I mean, that was that seems to be the, con- the consensus, and I, I'm really interested to to find out what number three was. I think because it's the only one I buy, I, I'm thinking number three was mine, was the Peninsula. But I, I don't know. Um, should we? Anybody want to make guesses on, like, if you feel really confident on which ones, which one is which? I mean, I've, I've never had them. I mean, I would say I, I couldn't even venture a guess considering I've never had those three to even tell mm-hmm. which one they are. I'm thinking uh, uh, number one was the the red ceramic, the red uh, Amarina, the Totosh, the Toshi, Toshi. I'm thinking the number two was the blue ceramic, uh, the Fabri Amarina Fabri Amarina Fabri. I think three was Peninsula, four was Lazardo. You got one of those correct. I got one out of four. <laughs> one out of four. Okay. Anyone well, else? I was yeah. I was going to say my guess just purely based on look is that. Peninsula is actually lined up right with it. Number two was Lazardo. The one at the end was the Toshi, and this one right here was the Fabri. Number three was Fabri. You also got one correct. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that plate one is the Fabri. Plate two is the Wild Cherry, or one is the Toshi. Two is the Wild Cherry Fabri. Three is Lazardo, and four is the Peninsula. You are zero correct. Wow. Okay. Well, that makes uh, Carlos and I feel pretty good. Yes, especially since I've never had any of these. (laughs) Okay. And uh, Hugh? So, Lazardo is definitely number two. And then the uh, Fabri, man, it's, Fabri is going to be number four. The Amarina is going to be number three. And Steve's, which one was that? Peninsula. Peninsula. Will be number one. You got one correct. Well, okay. (laughs) All right. So, what do we have? So, are we ready? Yes. All right. Number one is the blue jar, the white and blue jar. Uh, which one's that one? The Fabri? Yes. The Fabri. That's the wild cherry. Yes. Number two is the Lasardo. Okay. Number three is Peninsula. And I'm sorry, the number four was? Number four was the white and red jar, the Toshi. Toshi. Mm. Interesting. So, Brian had a coughing fit, and I think that was because everyone Nobody picked, picked Lazardo. something other than Lazardo. <laughs> Well, pick, but I think I'll pick the peninsula. So can we line everyone pick the peninsula as their favorite? Can we line the jars up with yes? The- All right. So uh, again, uh, peninsula premium cherries out of Michigan. Yeah. The uh, the only American made uh, cherry here on the table available. We I buy mine at Amazon, and again, a dollar five an ounce. You do the math when it's done uh, by the pound, but. Uh, uh, I really, all the cherries were of great quality. That that we would we would be honored to have these cherries in a cocktail. I would not be offended to have any of these cherries in the cocktail. It's shocking to me how flat the Lazardo was. Yes, um, I certainly didn't expect that. Um, I've tried the Peninsula and have found them to be very appealing. Never would have guessed that um, that it would have been all of our hands down choice as number one choice. Um, but great to know um, and great knowing going forward to, you know, position when we do cocktails in the future. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm not going to be positioning Lizardo as the you know all do all going forward that maybe there is a better based on our palates. There is a better choice. And by the way, Peninsula, 
I also put on ice cream. I love it. USA. There you go. <laughs> USA. You guys, I appreciate it. We, uh, we're, we're out of time. Uh, go. I'm talking to the listeners now. Go out and get some good quality cocktail cherries. If you're in a fine dining establishment and they bring you a pink maraschino cherry, uh, Brian, what do we do with those? Send them back. We send them back. Guys, uh, Ron, Brian, Carlos, Hugh, appreciate you being on About Mansfield. Thanks, Thank you. Steve. Happy to be here. Thank you. Coming up next week on About Mansfield, we will talk in studio with yet another outstanding Mansfield resident, and you will just have to tune in to find out who it is. As always, this is the place where you'll hear the latest Mansfield news, sports, and weather. Until then, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, share, love, or support this podcast if you haven't already, so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Just enter your email address on the homepage of our website, aboutmansfield.com. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Hosts, Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Moment with the Mayor feature, Michael Evans. Science reporter, Dennis Webb. Sports, Jonathan Dodd. Methodist Mansfield News to Know, Angel B. Asadi. Mansfield Real Estate Market Update, Beth Steinke. Cocktail of the Week, Brian Certain. Post-production editing, mixing, and mastering, Steve Casillo and Jonathan Dodd. This podcast is copyrighted by Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio for the private use of our audience. Any other use of this podcast without written consent is prohibited. We thank you all for listening. On behalf of the entire news team, I'm Steve Casillo, and this is about Mansfield. Mansfield.